at our normal time on a Tuesday night after the Super Bowl in which the Patriots lost. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Matt Rory, and I was wrong. And Calvin Chamberlain is to blame because he jumped ship and he tried to hitch his, his, himself to our bandwagon. I blame him for bringing the bad juju. Calvin, defend yourself. I mean, I don't, I don't need to defend myself here because I'm not that sad about it. It's, it's funny how life <laughs> works sometimes, you know? I was, I was rooting for the Patriots uh, the majority of the game. I was actually I was always conflicted. But then what happened was the Eagles got the lead, and the narrative was just perfectly constructed for yet another uh, yet another Patriots sort of comeback and win in the final moment. Uh, and then I just thought about, again, not to single out Sean Backey, but it just happens to be the most obnoxious Patriots fan, Facebook friend that I have. Uh, <laughs> but just, just I, I imagine him, you know, with, with his posts, like the 28-3 to 3 posts all over again, except this time, you know, whatever the comeback was going to be. And, and I thought, you know what, I can't, I can't live with Tom Brady in this scenario coming coming down with another come from behind victory. Ah, so you switched mid game. Not only did you did you hit your wagon to the to the wrong team in the first place, you switched in the middle and started rooting for the the, the favorite at that point. Well, the, the Eagles. The, the other thing that happened was I, I had made a, a prop bet on on Zach Ertz uh, getting the final touchdown of the game, thinking that he would get a touchdown to tie it. And that the, that the Patriots would win on a game-winning field goal. That was my thought at the time. But it just happened to turn out that Ertz, uh, I, you know, and I got that at 12 to one. So it happened to turn out that Ertz got the final touchdown of the game, you know, to put the Eagles up eight points. So at that point, I, I was basically obligated to root for my financials. I see. Well, congratulations on winning that bet. That uh, sounds like like a good one for you. Yeah, well, Steve, it's just a $10 bet. I won 120 on it, so I felt pretty good about that. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, other than that, you know what? I'm I'm glad it was a good game. I, I think that the, most of the Patriots games rules tend to be, or at least a, a close game. I, I was not expecting this much offense, right? I don't I don't know about you, but, I mean, what? Do you, do you, I guess we'll just jump right into the questions here because we only have an hour show tonight. Uh, one, do you think Nick Foles is good? Hmm. Um, I think he is is going to be overpaid next year. I think somebody's going to give him a nice contract because of this win. And I, I won't say that he's bad, but I don't necessarily think he's good either. He seems to be falling in line with the the these the list of quarterbacks who have won a Super Bowl or two uh, by managing the game. And uh, Trent Dilfer comes to mind. Uh, there are other guys that are slipping my mind right now, of course. Um, the problem with that, Rory, is, is his stats don't fit that narrative. He, what did he put up? He put up 450 passing yards in the Super Bowl. He was awesome in this one game, yes, I, yes. But I, I would, I would tend to think that when if he gets a big contract next year, that, that uh, it's not necessarily going to pan out that way. But I, I guess I said the same thing after the Vikings game. I was like, this game is fraudulent. I actually specifically put it on the Vikings because the Vikings always play terribly in NFC Championship games. Like weird things happen. I remember Kerry Collins and Giants beating like a fifteen and one 
Vikings team 41 nothing in Minnesota to get to the Super Bowl in 2001. Like, that's just the kind of thing that happens to the Vikings in, in that game. Like, they have a long history of weird things like that. Field goal kicker missing no kicks all year, missing like a 35-yarder with Gary Anderson. So I just chalked it up to that, and then he ran it back again and had an even better game in the Super Bowl. And then I think, yeah, he had that one year with the Eagles where he, he threw, what, 40 picks, and oh, I think it was 38 picks and five interceptions where he was like runner-up for NFL MVP. And I'm like, I don't know. There's, I, I, I think I agree with you still, but there's a part of me that's starting to waver. And, and maybe say, maybe Nick Foles is good and he just really didn't get enough of a chance that next season. Because they really pulled the hook on him pretty quickly after that. I think Michael Vick came back. I can't remember what happened exactly. Making lose Something like that. I can't, I can't remember either. But I'll tell you that, that back then, Coach John Gruden uh, at the time was an announcer and he was loving him some Nick Foles. So he, saw, he sees good, thing in, good things in Nick Foles. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I would find it hard to believe that he – that he w- would get any playing time in Philly. So he's gone, in my opinion. He's not going to be the backup there again. Somebody will pay him. Uh, and it uh, it just goes to show that you can stick around in this league and then still make an impact. And we'll have to wait and see. Maybe, maybe he'll turn into the next uh, Tom Brady. I doubt it. I don't think that's going to be the way it works with him. I think that they coached him up quite a bit. And that uh, he bought into the system, and he saw what Carson Wentz was doing, and that was uh, something that he tried to model his game after as well, and it worked out. I would be interested to see what a different coaching staff did with him, and if they would be able to still pull something like this off, because I, I don't necessarily see him as a guy that just would be able to fit in anywhere he goes. Uh, otherwise, I think he probably would have had a different job by now. He's been in the league six years. Or not, I shouldn't say that. I should say that, that he would have stuck somewhere by now. He's been in the years okay, uh, with three different teams. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And what, if, what if the Eagles traded Carson Wentz? That'd be crazy, huh? But that's not going to happen. Right. So uh, right. let, let, let's move on to the next question. Is Malcolm Butler good? I'm just going to ask you if guys are good. What what are your thoughts on this Butler situation in all seriousness? Yeah, this is the hot topic in New England for the last few days. Uh, is he good? Yes, I believe he's a good player. Is he better than, than Batamosi and Eric Rowe, who got rolled out there time and time again after Patrick Chung got hurt? Yes, I do believe that as well. By all accounts, and if you believe Malcolm Butler, this was a football-related decision and that he was not being disciplined for anything, that he, that he did not miss any sort of team functions or, or he wasn't late, he didn't badmouth anybody. There are all sort, sorts of rumors flying around about what he did to deserve this. And if you believe his denial and you believe that Coach Belichick or what he said about the football decisions, then something – went through Bill's head at some point, and it could have been stewing there all season. I think he just doesn't like the way that Malcolm Butler goes about his job. And I don't know what the reason would be. By everything that I can see, he's the better player than those guys I just mentioned. And he, he's, he's a very good quarterback, and he's done good things for the Patriots. What I don't understand is if, if you didn't like 
the way this guy played football and didn't think that he fit in well enough to play in the most important game of the season, then why was he playing on just about every other defensive snap that he could throughout the entire year? He played on almost 100% of the snaps for this defense this year, and all of a sudden he's, he's not on the field. He's nowhere to be found, and it's a football decision. So you have to go, by what, you have to go with what, what the, the facts are and what you actually know. And to me, this is just some weird football decision. I don't know why Bill Belichick thought that Butler was going to be ineffective against this Philly team. And the thing that baffles me even more is that they didn't make an adjustment at halftime. If you see that you're getting pushed around and they're, you're, they're really manhandling your receivers, even though Butler's kind of a small – excuse me, manhandling your cornerbacks, even though uh, Butler's kind of a small corner, throw him out there. You have him get a, get a little bit more aggressive than some of these guys. He's a better cover corner than them. And it's, it, I think after a, a, a half of sitting there and not playing at all, he would, be, we would have been fired up, and I think he could have made a, a serious impact in that game, the way that defense was playing. But for whatever reason, Bill, Bill thinks that he wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be good enough to, to get on the field on Sunday. And I, I don't understand why. It, not, it doesn't really add up, and I hope that – an answer comes out at some point. Yeah, right. The football decision thing, I, I know, you know, people are like, oh, we just got to take Belichick for his word. But it just, it doesn't make any sense. So it's hard to just take him at his word because, here's the thing, I know, like you said, Butler played all season, right? He's clearly mm-hmm. a better player than Arrow. I know people uh, say he didn't particularly play well uh, in the playoff game against the Jaguars, and that's fine. So maybe you start off this game and you don't start Butler, right? But the thing is, is like, look, uh, when Patrick Chung gets hurt, there's, there's, a, there's a need for more than two cornerbacks on a team, you know, or yep. even three. So if your team starts getting lit up by, by the other team's uh, receivers, there's nothing if the Patriots defense plays a good game, right? But by the time halftime hits and they haven't even tried Butler, that's what I don't understand. They're, they're trying pass plays to Tom Brady, but they're not trying Butler in the game. So you, you're telling me... You're telling yeah. me, okay, that's entirely a football decision. But if it's not a it, disciplinary decision... It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But it's, but it's not disciplinary. Because if, if, if yeah. Belichick had come out and said it was disciplinary, that he, that, but he's not going to say what it was, and then Butler had denied it, you would have this back and forth, well, wh- what is it then? Right. Who's, who's telling the truth? But if it's not disciplinary, then to me, it is a football decision. Because those two are lining up as far as the non-disciplinary thing is concerned. So I just I don't know what it would be that he sees to to make make him not want to put Butler in the game unless there's just this inherent grudge, this underlying grudge that Belichick's holding for some other reason, and he can't justify disciplinary action well, because Butler didn't actually do anything this week. Let me ask you this. Could that other reason have anything to do at all with Butler's impending free agency and the, the Patriots' reluctance to pay him the amount of money that he probably thinks he's worth? If you think sure. there's any chance, conspiracy theory guy, although it's not even that big of a conspiracy, that they were sort of trying to tank his value, maybe to maybe to like lowball him then in the offseason and be like, well, look, sure. you know, you lost your starting job, and then try to like, could there be an ulterior motive on that level, like? Almost like a mastermind, you know, of like, you know, trying to get this guy back on the roster going forward. What do you make of that fact? 
Yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely possible that they w- that that was their thinking, or that was Bill's thinking, or that maybe he he is just trying to tank his value so he is forced to stay on the team because nobody else wants him. If Belichick sat him, then then well, right. I mean, nobody's nobody's going to want him. So if that's his thinking going forward, and he makes Butler an offer he can't re- refuse, then maybe you could argue that being justified, but I still don't understand why he didn't play at all the entire game. And I mean, that just, that baffles me. Uh, and to further you, against that conspiracy theory, even though there's so, there's a million different things that we could come up with as a theory behind this, but also against that, you have to kind of rationalize if you're Bill Belichick and say, well, wait a minute, if I don't play this guy in the Super Bowl and I don't actually tell him why, then he's going to be pissed. He's not going to want to come back. That, so we're going to have to overpay him. And that's not the way that Bill Belichick works. He doesn't overpay players uh, for the most part. So you, I right. feel like you would have to realize that that's gonna, that would happen and that you would alienate the player uh, unless you're going to tell him exactly what's going on, in which case Butler wouldn't be so upset about it, right? So either Bill's hiding something from, from Butler, uh, which it seems as though that's happening, or he's or just – from us. Or, or it's, I mean, it's something it in his, in like his own head. He's trying, to, he's trying to be too smart for his own good. So do you, is there any part of you that, like, you know, has, a, has any resentment towards him for that? Or do you think, like, is there any chance that this affected the game's bottom line or do you think it would have played out? I mean, it's hard to know now, but do you, just in your heart of hearts, do you feel like, hey, uh, dumb expression, by the way, heart of hearts, but do you feel like, hey, you know, this was sort of a lost opportunity because of something that I don't understand or you – well, you yeah. kind of just take it with a grain of salt. No, I listen. I'm usually in the camp of of uh, in Bill we trust, and he makes the right decision. And I came into this this weekend saying it was going to be a close game, and it was going to be last possession matters, and it's going to count. And whoever gets that, that last possession is probably going to win the game, back and forth type of thing. I was wrong, or I was right on on all of these things that coaching came down that it came down to coaching. I just was wrong about which coaching staff and and possession was going to be the one that mattered and that did a better job. Doug Peterson outcoached Bill Belichick, as far as I'm concerned. And I think this this uh, Butler situation is a big part of it because it's not something that I can really understand. I can't wrap my head around it, and I do think that he would have made. A difference. I'm not saying they would have won the game because of him, but there were multiple plays where the Patriots' corners were missing tackles, and I just thought to myself, man, Butler would make that tackle, or he would at least slow the guy down enough for somebody else to come and clean it up. And I, there were just too many instances of the Patriots looking like they could use a guy like Butler on the field for me to to really be able to understand or to, to think that it wouldn't have made an impact and they wouldn't, wouldn't have had a better chance to win that game. I think he definitely would have, would have helped them. I mean, really, the, that game came down to the fact that Nick Foles is a much better receiver than Tom Brady. And whoever thought that was a big They ran that play to perfection. A little bit better than the Patriots did, too, that play. Although, so, so um, Patriots, former Patriot ball. Matt Chatham, Pulling a Ravens over there saying they used an illegal formation with a wide receiver not up on the line. Hmm. I mean, I felt like he looked To say he's not on the line, I, I guess that's, that's like a subjective. You, you could say that he's not on the line, but to me, to my mind, he was like essentially on the line. You talk about the receiver up top. But I do want to talk about the, the other two, uh, the more interesting plays, and I've heard Patriots fans, or just fans in general, 
call foul or, or even question, what did you make of those two touchdowns? The, the yards touchdown where he, he caught the ball at the three and, you know, turned up and dove in. People are comparing that uh, to the to Jesse James uh, situation. Or was it James Jesse? Maybe James Jesse. Jesse James, yeah. The Steelers. And then, yeah, and then the other one uh, was it's Clements, right? Caught, caught the ball over the shoulder. Uh, the ball moved a little in his hands, and people are questioning whether or not he secured the ball before he went out of bounds. Yeah, Do you have an issue I think with either of those I think the second one was was a definite touchdown, and he it didn't matter. I think in that instance, it's you just I think he had control of the ball, and the, it, there wasn't enough to overturn it. So I'm fine with that one. Uh, can, can, the can other I one, oh, go about, ahead. Yeah, can I just talk about people complaining about the ball moving? And I think because this incident replay, look, I, I think you people need to differentiate between the ball moving because someone is adjusting the position in their hands, and the ball moving because it, it bobbles and comes loose. People move the ball when they catch it all the time. Switching it to the other hand, that doesn't necessarily mean that there was no time period when he made that catch that he didn't have control of the ball. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think it's fair to be like like every time someone makes a catch, unless I think you can tell the difference between the ball coming loose and someone adjusting their position. I don't know. Maybe you have a different opinion on that. But that's where I am with that. No, I, it's you can't really tell, which is why I kind of thought, he had control of it, and, and that was that. And I okay. think the rule is going to change. They definitely need to, to, to change that rule. Now, the the other one where Ertz sort of dove and it, it hit the line, or it hit the ground, and it, he it popped up, and then he ended up still controlling it in the end zone. Uh, I think the way the rule has been called so far this year, it it probably should have not been a, a, a touchdown. I think it should have been some sort of a fumble, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't know how you would have interpreted it other than a touchdown because he ended up having control of the ball in the end zone anyway. So the way the, the rule should be in my mind is that after you've become a runner, et cetera, which debatable whether he did become a runner in that situation. I thought he, I thought he had, had control of the, of the ball and, and lunged toward the end zone. Once you cross the plane, it should be a touchdown. That's not the way the rule is written. That's not the way it's been called this year. But I think that should have been a touchdown in the general uh, discourse of football. I feel like that should have been a touchdown. But the way they've been calling it this year, I'm I'm not sure what it should have been. I feel like they should have called it back because the ball did he it did leave his his grasp after. Uh, it hit ground. Now, maybe they'll say that he still survived the ground because he ended up uh, possessing the ball in the end zone anyway, uh, and that's why that's the justification for it. But I'm just so confused by the catch rule this year. I have no idea what to make of that touchdown. But my initial reaction was call it back. My thing, again, all right, is that the, that the catch rule, especially on a catch that happens outside the end zone, all right, that rule conflicts directly with the ball crossing the plane rule. I don't understand how many steps does someone have to take before they, they just, just the, 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 quote, process that needs to be completed just yeah, exists internally. Like, he turned and took three steps. In any, any other place in the field other than the end zone, that that is a catch. That's a catch. The, we, we don't even have that conversation. It would be a catch because he turns up field and goes another three yards. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I can't see how that's – the ball doesn't move until he dives. First of all, he's not even diving if it's anywhere else in the field, right? The point of the dive is 
because the end zone is supposed to be a ball cross, right. crossing the situation, guys will extend there where they won't extend anywhere else on the field. So, again, if you're depriving him of the ability to extend at the end zone, you're basically changing the entire rule of football to try to decide what a catch is. And I just I don't see how that's not a catch. And it's not – to me, it can't be a fumble because, again, the second the ball crosses the end zone, it's a touchdown. If you fumble after that, it doesn't matter. Even, yeah, you're right, he got the ball back anyway. So if you want to interpret the rule that way, it's still Philly's ball, so I definitely don't feel like the Patriots got robbed in any way. I just think, like, I feel like Michaels and Collinsworth were not, were, like, pushing a narrative that's, like, this might not be a catch. And I don't even, and maybe, maybe it wasn't going to be a catch. You know, maybe there's a chance that the referees would have overturned it, but it's just, you know, I thought that, I thought that Jesse James, the James Jesse one, rather, was already bad. But this one would have been worse because he had the ball for a longer period of time, further out of the end zone before time. I, I mean, I can't argue with you. I, I just, right. the way that they've been calling it, I thought that it was going to be overturned. And, of course, I wanted it to be overturned. But um, I, I think overall it should be a, a catch and a touchdown, and I hope they write the rule going forward to reflect that because it was a play that, Warranted a touchdown, in my opinion, just the way it was handled. So yeah, that's that. Well, like I'm, I'm glad that the Patriots ended up getting that other chance, and it ended up, you know, uh, well, I, I, I kind of ended essentially on the, the strip, uh, strip sack of Brady, even though the Patriots had time, you know, but, but at that point it was an unrealistic. Uh, yeah, I was still know. hanging on to hope at that point. Yeah. I thought they might be able to make a little drive or something, but uh, Philly was just too strong. I mean, they, yeah, they almost, they almost did with Gronk there at the end, just, just a throw up. But I mean, that, that's like relying on a fluke. It's not like a legitimate, you know what I mean? Not a, a legitimate opportunity to win the game at that point. You can't blame them for not, yeah. like, not winning at that point. In any case, Ray, uh, one more thought before we, uh, before we leave the NFL behind for a little while, huh? Yeah. Until, uh, I love it. Yeah, you, yeah, you're excited. Well, until the next crazy story breaks, right? Well, I mean, we. But, I, I'm going to touch on McDaniel's in a second here too, but. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, where I'm, that's, yeah, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. All right. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> that's your reaction. That's my reaction. It's a party time. I love it. I think, I, I think that this saga just will never end. And um, I'm, I'm going to pull up the Schefter tweet because I think he followed up with some interesting stuff as well. Um, but basically, uh, Josh McDaniels agreed to coach the head or be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts to a point where they put his picture up on, his, on their website and said, welcome coach McDaniels. Uh, and then, I don't know, who knows, half an hour later, 45 minutes later, uh, we get this tweet from, from Adam Schefter saying, uh, Wait, where did it go? Stunner, Patriots OC Josh McDaniels has decided not to accept Coach Colt's head coaching job and will remain with New England, sources told ESPN. And then he went further, went to say that in the past 48 hours, Robert Kraft stepped in and started talking with McDaniels and uh, gave him a better contract, and it, it decided, they decided that he was going to come back to uh, New England. And one league source told Adam Schefter, that's Kraft putting it to the Colts again. He will forever try and F that place ever since the Flake Gate. So, 
The Colts had a press conference scheduled for tomorrow. They've now canceled that press conference. They put out a statement saying that they're surprised and disappointed that McDaniels has backed, backed off. But, Calvin, man, this, to me, seems like the Patriots getting their way again. And if it's true that Robert Kraft is going to be out to get the, the Colts for the rest of his life-slash-career as owner of the Patriots, uh, then that'll be interesting to, to see play out because uh, these two teams have no love lost for each other. Um, and it just, it's just, it's another, it's another thing. And uh, you can think whatever you want, but I, I definitely believe that McDaniels did what every good Patriot uh, employee does and went back to Mr. Kraft and said, this is the offer. I'm going to take it. Do you want to talk about it? Some of them, they'll say, yes, let's talk about it. And some of the players and, and coaches that come through the organization, they'll just let go to their next destination. It's, it's obvious they think really, really highly of Josh McDaniels uh, for him to have now backed out of a contract. So it's, it, this is very interesting to me. And I think that uh, they, they, I believe the, the, the Schefter tweets, it sounds exactly like something that would have happened around here. Right. If what, let, let's assume what you're saying is true for a second, because I, I find that to be an interesting narrative. Doesn't if if if, if the notion is that that uh, he he met with the Colts, he interviewed with him, they offered him the position, he decided to take it. ESPN is sort of putting up that narrative plus a little bit of a of an extra added thing you didn't mention about the fact that he that he was reluctant to move to Indianapolis. He was trying to talk his family into moving from New England to Indianapolis, which I find hilarious. Like an element of like, I don't want to move to this crappy city. But and, and there's, there's also in, in this article the, the thought that like McDaniel's does still want to be a head coach, but he doesn't feel like the Colts was the right situation for him. But let's let's take all that aside and say he, he got the offer from the Colts and he, he accepts it, and then and then after accepting it, goes back to Kraft and says. Look, this is this is what I got here. What can you do for me? Doesn't that kind of make him a bad person? If we're being honest, because he's he's setting these intent. What you're telling me is is that McDaniel intentionally maliciously used the Colts, held them hostage through the entire Super Bowl process, while other coaches were getting hired, and they assumed that he was their their guy. So they're they're losing out on a bunch of candidates, probably who have taken other jobs. They're they're behind the eight ball no. significantly. At, at this point, um, all to like, for a guy who never really wanted to be there, but instead wanted to use that team as leverage to to get well, more money or, or power or what or whatever crap. Well, I think it's a good business move, first of all, and but if that's the way he's thinking about it. However, I, I don't think this is necessarily on Josh McDaniels. I, I think that Robert Kraft probably has a lot to do with this, and the fact that he was going to go to Indianapolis, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it really stuck in Robert Kraft's craw and he decided that he, he wasn't going to let it happen. He didn't want to let his guy go to that team of all teams. You see, he didn't have any problem with Patricia going to Detroit. So, I mean, maybe, maybe – uh, McDaniels just did them a favor and said, "Listen, this is the, this is the situation. I appreciate it. I'm leaving." And Kraft said, "Well, what if I do this?" I don't necessarily think that McDaniels went back to Kraft and said, "Give me a better offer," or "Can you give me a better offer?" I, I would think that he just went to him and said, "I'm I've made my decision," uh, and that's why the Colts thought that he was going to accept the offer. He probably told them he was going to accept the offer. 
and that's the part that that sort of throws the that theory out the window if you ask me there's no re- if he was going if he really was going to string them along and just play them for like fools there's really no reason unless he really had it out for them to tell them that he would take the job and let them go to the lengths of announcing it on their website, scheduling a press conference, and all that. He would have just gone back to Kraft and then called the Colts back and said, sorry, got a better deal over here if he was trying to, to use it as leverage. Uh, so I, I, I would tend to believe that he wasn't the driving force behind this, this back out, and it was really more that Robert Kraft didn't want him to leave and especially didn't want him to go to the Colts and really made it, gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Wait, one more time, just for fun. I'm going to throw the conspiracy theory out there, just for fun. Okay, is there a chance? I'm not saying it's likely. Is there a chance at all, in your, in your mind, that Robert, that, that Robert Kraft went to Josh McDaniels, who, by all accounts, yes, still does want to be an NFL head coach. He goes, goes to McDaniels and says, look, Tom Brady is going to retire in two years, and Belichick's going to retire with him. Just hang on to this job for, two, hang on to this position for two more years, and you'll be the head coach here in New England. And that's probably what you want more than anything else. So just, then like reject the Colts job now, and I got you. I got you in the future. It's totally possible. It's totally possible. Absolutely, it's possible. And I think if anyone, if anyone knows that about that situation. It's Josh McDaniels. I think he's been around enough. He already went to a different team and, and failed and then came back, and they brought him back. They like him that much. I think they trust this guy. And I think if any of that, if those conversations were being had with anyone other than Kraft, Belichick, and Brady, McDaniels would be that next guy in, in line there. Uh, so it, maybe he knows something that the rest of us don't know for sure. Maybe he's going to assume it, Maybe like the rest of us are assuming it. I don't believe that Tom Brady's going to be playing until 45. Maybe he is. But I would find it hard to believe if Belichick was coaching that long as well because what's his age? He's 60-something. Uh, that, that, that brings him past the time that I thought he, was be, he would be coaching. He's 65, so that would bring him to 70. Maybe you will see Belichick at 70 and Brady at 45, but I find it hard to believe. Um, and even if you do see that – What's another five years in the best organization in the league if you're Josh McDaniels? You're comfortable here. You still would have a chance to be a head coach. He's not getting too old. You know, he's still a young guy. He can, he can even put – I know he wants to be a head coach, but he could still push that off another five years, and, and he would be 46 at that point and still have a great career as a head coach. Not that he would want to do that, but I, I would understand where he's coming from and why he would say, you know what? I'll take my chances here in New England, especially if they sweeten the offer, and I'll find a better situation for me later because the Colts situation, it really isn't that great. All right, Murray, let's shift gears here, huh? Uh, let's do a little NBA talk. Oh, man, I just I don't know. I, I know your, your focus is probably on this Boston game where they just blown up in the Raptors, but uh, I can't believe it. Man. I looked at the Cavs score in the first half. They went up by 16 uh, on the match at halftime, and they lost by 18. Oh, boy. Wait, wait, did Cleveland play tonight? Yeah. Huh? Did Cleveland play tonight? The Mavs? They played the Magic. They oh, lost the Magic. They lost the Magic by 18 after being up by 16 at half. Yikes. They scored 31 points in the second half. They gave up 65. 
That's okay. insane. Anyway. I wonder what they're saying over there. In any case, Rory, uh so we got this trade deadline coming up. You, have you heard? Have you heard about this whole thing? Yeah, there's a trade deadline coming up, and there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of chatter about what teams should do and what people, uh, what which players are, are going to be traded. And uh, the Celtics are right in the thick of that. Yeah. So yeah. So, so are my Lakers. Um, yeah. I, I guess we'll we'll start with Marcus Smart quickly. I, I do have some potential Marcus Smart trades, but uh, the, the notion is Marcus Smart up on the block. Uh, for the reason simply that he's a free agent after this season. Danny Ainge has no intention of paying him, it seems. But, so it seems reasonable to me. I know we discussed earlier the Celtics shouldn't make a move. But it seems reasonable to trade Marcus Smart, especially because this team, you know, needs a, a little bit more offensive punch off the bench in, in particular. I know they just got Monroe, but they still need some offensive punch from a wing, in my opinion. Um, well, like, if you're going to move Smart anyway... Why not? Yeah. Why not move him? You know, you could probably get a pretty good player back. Except Danny H seems to want, surprisingly, surprisingly, a first-round draft pick for Marcus mm-hmm. Martin, instead of a player who can help this year. What do you think? Um, I am not surprised that that's what they're throwing out there. Uh, that they want a draft pick because I think there's a situation here where they're trying to make a couple of trades in in a, a couple of day span. I think they're trying to flip Marcus Smart for somebody else and they can't really necessarily do it straight up for with the salary. Um, so I, I think they're trying to use the disabled player exception in a trade with a, a pick that they acquire from a Marcus Smart deal to get somebody that is paid more than Marcus Smart. That's my, my humble opinion on that. And I would love to see Smart get traded because I think that he's got decent value even though he hurt his hand. And I, I'm just, I'm kind of getting tired of being patient with with uh, his shot selection. That's that's uh, my big knock on him. And he makes winning plays. Yes, he's important on defense. He he is a, a, a grit and grind type of guy, and you can't really replace things like that. His heart and hustle are are hard to find. That's all. He's going to be elite level on all of those things. But I'm just getting tired of his shot selection and just kind of the way he plays on offense all the time, uh, just being flailing around once in a while. And, I mean, I just – if they get a, if they can get good value and then flip that for a player that's better than him, I'm all for it. But at the same time, and I think this is something that you're going to discuss in a minute here, salaries are not going to be as large as – people expected them to next year, especially for a guy like Marcus Smart. So if they can, if if they don't have to pay him a lot of money and they can bring in somebody else with the money they save on his salary, then I, I'm okay with keeping him too. So I'm kind of, I'm going to ride the fence on this one because I still don't know how I feel about Marcus Smart as a whole. Right. Yeah, you're, you're right about uh, the, the NBA financial crunch. So two years ago in the summer of 2016, the cap was rising exponentially every year. And, you know, I, 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 25 teams had uh, money under the cap. So there was a, a huge demand and a limited supply for players, and contracts were handed out like candy did. But what's happened over the last few seasons is the cap has leveled off. And the, the summer of two years ago, like, it 
it allocated such a high percentage of the cap, com- combining that with supermax contracts that are, that are also like eat up you know thirty percent of your cap, essentially for players that like have to be supermaxed. Otherwise, like that's the only leverage you have to keep them leaving. We've gone from twenty five to, to ten teams with caps uh, cap space last summer to uh, right right now it's a projection of uh, five or six players. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, five or six teams having money in in this 2018 offseason, and most of those teams are all bad. It's the Hawks. I mean, bad right now anyway. It's the Hawks, the Bulls, the Mavericks, the Pacers, and the Lakers will definitely have money. And then there are a few other teams, uh, like the, the Nets, Nuggets, and Suns could get cap space if they, like, you know, made a creative move or two that wouldn't be too difficult. But not, not crazy cap space. And the 76ers, I'm sorry, the 76ers are the other team that's going to have cap space. Other than that, that's it. You, did you, not did a you, lot. How, how, many, how many enticing free, free agent destinations did you get on that list? How many enticing free agent destinations are there? Yeah, you want me, you want me to run down this again for you? I mean, just the Hawks, just the in Bulls, general. Okay, out of the, out of those those teams, I see. Um, yeah, yeah there zero. We're we gonna go with the zero Pacers, one. There's well, in in my opinion, there's two, depending on how you look at it. Right? Maybe Indiana. Oh no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say Indiana. Well, I, in my mind, there's there's the Lakers. And there's the 76ers for okay. reasons, right? Sure. Everybody else, do, do I think a free agent's gonna like a, a a major? Do I think LeBron's going Indiana? No, there's no chance LeBron goes to Indiana. That's why, right, when this report comes out uh, today about how the Lakers are thinking of thinking about rolling their free agency uh, plan back to 2019, I like the only thing I can think is that it's a smokescreen. It doesn't make any sense. They have yeah. they basically have a market cornered right now, uh, especially if they stretch thing and they and they can you know get rid of Clarkson, uh, Clarkson's contract and Randall doesn't even make a lot of money, but they'll they'll try to get an asset back on because they'll be a free agent and, and they want to use his capital on on a free agent player. It, it doesn't make sense. I know there's not like a, outside of like going for those home run swings. There's not a, a lot of great players out there, but why not be one of the only teams with a chance? Like look. Assuming LeBron doesn't re-sign in Cleveland, where is it going to go? I know people people think Houston. You know what Houston has to do to get LeBron James right? They have to renounce Clint, Clint Capella's rights, who's essentially a perfect player for what they do. With, with Paul, they have to renounce him. They have to find a way to trade Eric Gordon, and they have to let you know, uh, Trevor Ariza walk. Do I think this, I, I realize LeBron is LeBron, but I'm not even sure Houston's better in that scenario. But hmm. other, than, other than the Rockets, I don't even see another team other than the Lakers that LeBron can go to. And the Clippers, people are like, oh, the Clippers, blah, blah, blah. They still have to trade DeAndre Jordan for somebody who's going to be a free agent in this offseason and to trade Austin Rivers by this offseason. It, it might be doable, but then that still leaves you with LeBron and uh, Milo Gallinari. And like, like LeBron's going to the Clippers and in that else. scenario. Yeah. This is why I find LeBron moving teams to be so so hard to believe, and it, I mean, it just seems like there's not really a place where he's going to fit and succeed immediately. I think there's there's it's going to be a work in progress wherever he goes. Um, can I double down on Paul George then? Because <laughs> I know that all these stories are coming out, and the Lakers are like I'm concerned that 
Paul George is talking to the Thunder. So I went and looked at the, at the Thunder's cap situation today. Like, the Thunder, look, the, the Thunder, yeah, they, they technically can offer uh, Paul George a max contract, but they're, they're already in the tax. If they offer Paul George a max contract in this next season, they'll be $25 million over the cap, which means that they'll, they'll essentially be paying $100 million in Oklahoma City in the tax for next season for a team that maybe maybe that's feasible if the Thunder get to the finals. But if they don't, you, you really think that I'm expected to believe that organization, unless Carmelo decides not to opt into his $27 million option, which what are the, what are the chances of that happening? There's no they, – they can't – Oh, that team cannot afford to bring Paul George back. They can't. I don't like. Yeah, I I I realize it's a nice narrative, it's a fun story, but I don't see I don't see how they can even offer him the max. Maybe they hope he resigns at a, like a lower number because he loves Oklahoma City so much. But like, if, if I'm the Lakers and I'm you know I'm betting on giving like Paul George the max to play in Los Angeles as opposed to like him getting 19 mil a year to play in Oklahoma City, I'll, I still like those odds. I'm sorry. So I don't believe they're going to roll back because they have a market cornered. It doesn't make sense to roll it back. That's yeah, that makes sense. I don't. Maybe it is a big smokescreen, and they have some some inside information that they're not going to leak this time, Magic Johnson. Um, Calvin, two things for you quickly here. First of all, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo jumped over six foot six Tim Hardaway Jr. on an alley oop and connected. Go find that. Uh, second of all, do you want to take a caller? Uh, we can take a caller, yeah, but I, I do want to get in these fake trades for the end of the show, so let's not go too loud. Yes. yes, we will take the caller for a minute or two. Uh, he apparently is a new caller to the show. I don't recall taking his call before. Uh, it is Jeff, and he is in Boston. Jeff, welcome to the show. What do you have for us tonight? Hi, guys. Hello? Hi. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, I am. I am a first-time caller. How are you guys? Oh, great. Welcome to the show. No, we appreciate you listening. What's uh, what's on your oh, mind? No you problem. called. You, it's like you hit the board right after we ended our Super Bowl talk, and right before we oh. started talking a little. Okay, so I'm, I'm not sure uh, what you're looking for. Well, it was it was two parts actually. I wanted to uh, give you my part on the Malcolm Butler situation, um, but before that, you guys were getting into Marcus Smart, and as a Celtics fan. We, we got to trade this guy. I mean, come on. This guy, how many times is he going to put his fist through a wall and, you know, be out for six weeks, breaking his, you know, how, come on. It's time to grow up. It's time to move on. I mean, if we're, if we're going to seriously contend for a championship and, and do those type of things, you can't have a guy like this in the team. I mean, I appreciate his enthusiasm and his effort on the court and things like that. But if you can get, like you guys were saying before, if we can get a first round pick for him, which I don't think that's possible, but if we can, you got to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's time to move on from this immaturity, and you got to act like a professional. Yeah, I'm with you. He definitely has to learn something. And he, he looks, every time he looks like he's matured and he's learning things about his mistakes in the past and things on the court, off the court, he goes and does something else similar to this. So, uh, I, I mean, there's only so many times you can get, forgive him and, and let him come back without any repercussions. So I'm not sure which direction they're going to go, but if they trade him for equal value or, or better, then I'm, I'm happy with that. 
I like that. Equal value, equal value or better. And he has a track record of this. I mean, you remember when he was at Oklahoma State? Like he, he, he they were in the tournament. He was a big time player for them, and he did he did something similar to what he just did a couple weeks or a week or so ago, and got suspended for a bunch of games. And it's just this is this is guy's personality. Clearly, he's not grown up or he's not ready to grow up and he can't mask who he is for, for a long period of time. And this is going to continue to go. It's possible. Can I just say, uh, as, as a post game show host, I'm going to miss Marcus Mark so much when he's down. <laughs> so there's going to be so much. I feel like I just, I like when I, when a caller calls in to talk about Marcus Smart, I feel like the opinion could be anything. Like there are guys, there's yeah. like fans who like die on that Marcus Smart hill. And then the Celtics fans who despise him with every fiber of their being. And I, I just true. love that there's such a wide range. But um, Yeah, I mean, he's, he's the, an intriguing player. He goes he, up and down. People's opinions of him go up and down with the, the quality of his game sometimes, too. So, um, all right, Jeff, quickly, what do you have on Malcolm Butler? Because this thing is probably going to be unraveled for, for many days to come now. Agreed. Uh, well, he's definitely gone. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. There's no way that he comes back. They're not going to franchise tag him. I don't even know if that's even possible, but he, he's gone. But, you know, my inside sources told me that at the Super Bowl that he was caught at the Sheraton Hotel licking Bill, Bill Belichick's wife's pussy. And he p- pulled out uh-huh. a big third. Uh-huh. 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 There, I knew that was coming. I had a feeling that uh... – that that was going to be the way that the the call went. I'm surprised it it, uh, it, it lasted that long. Anyway, uh, thank you for calling, Jeff. Thank you even more for listening. And Calvin, let's talk about some I big trades. Like you, I felt like you could have jumped that. He really set that up. I mean, you you just allowed it to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm hold, yeah, you gave him a lot of rope. That's all I'm saying. I okay. did. I, 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 so I was, up, I was not quick like, okay, enough with the trigger finger. I'm sorry. All right, that's fine. Uh, anyway, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you can you know, say whatever you want, but we have standards here at CLNS, and uh, yeah, that's not something that we we uh, tend to support on the show. But in any case, where where were we? Um, oh yeah, so I was talking about the NBA, and I was talking about how yeah, the Lakers are one of the only teams with money. I don't look. If they strike out with LeBron and they strike out. Uh, with Paul George, even then, I don't think they should necessarily push back to 2019 because there's going to be a bunch of free agents, as we discussed, who are basically because there's only so many teams that have money, they might be able to sign two or three guys on reasonable contracts next year and have enough for one max contract in 2019. Why not go that route when, you know, before more teams are in this situation where they're going to have cap space, undercut guys who are free agents, Try to get guys of below market value, and then all of a sudden you have a team with a bunch of good contracts on it. If I mean, if that's the way it's going to work, if if you think that'll work, then why? Of course, that's that's that sounds like a perfect plan. I just I think teams are going mean, to have to wait big. and see what the number is yeah. first, right? I I don't know. Swing big. Well, I mean, it's all it's all projected, like. You know, again, there's a chance that teams might have a, a, a – most of the teams aren't even that close to being below the tax line. I mean, being below the cap line. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe up to like nine teams could get, get under the cap uh, with the with the right moves. And, but if that happens, then other guys are being renounced 
like if, if the Rockets sign LeBron James, then the Lakers should sign Clint Capella. Like, you know what I mean? Like there'll be there'll be guys out there that they can sign at below market value. There just will be, as long as they don't. I don't know, like because Rob Pelinka has never really signed anybody. They signed, you know, uh, Caldwell Pope to this twenty million dollar deal, but it was just a one year deal to like fill out the time. I have no idea, like how shrewd they are in terms of negotiating that situation. But the point is, is like there's there's only so much money to go around, and guys like Marcus Smart, yeah, he's not going to get paid, but the, the Celtics can't hold on to him anyway because they're they're going to be up against that cap, like up against that tax regardless, right? So. Smart's going to have to go. Ken Rozier has also made it redundant. So he's going to have to go either way. I just think they should get a player for him instead of a draft pick. Because why not? Well, especially when we'll see what's happening to the Cavs. Why not play for them? Playing for the future now makes no sense to me. I, I know I said they didn't have to do a trade. But if they're going to trade Smart, which is, is smart business, trade for someone who can help you right now. You know what I mean? Why, why still play for the future? Why trade Smart for the 23rd? It's not like you're trading Smart for, you know, the Nets pick again. You're trading smart for, like, the 20th. No, it's not going to be top 10. Yeah. It, you're, you're trading him for, like, a lottery-protected pick at best. So trade so trade him for a guy right now. I mean, for, for example, I'll just get right to my list. So I'm going to I'm gonna name you both sides, and, and you tell me. Well, the Celtics ones, you can do it from the Celtics' perspective. But for the other ones, you you tell me who, who says now, all right? We'll do the classic who says now. Okay? Fair enough. Let's do it. All right, all, all of these are, are trade machine created, so the salaries work out. Don't worry about that. Uh, yeah, your boy Marcus Smart has been ru- already rumored to go to the Denver Nuggets. Again, Abe's saying that he wants a first uh, back in that scenario. The Nuggets have been balking at that. But instead of doing that, why not trade Marcus Smart for Will Barton? And here, I'll give you my reasonings why, but before you can tell me yes or no. But Barton's scoring like 14 points a game, much better scorer than Smart. Better perimeter shooter. Yeah, he's not as good of a, a defender, but he's also a free agent at the end of the season. So it's essentially cap-wise, there, there's no hit. The Nuggets want smart because their defense is bad. It's going to help them. It would also help the Celtics again because their offensive scoring, particularly off the bench, is is not great. In my opinion, it's a win-win. I don't I don't see why they don't just do this trade today, other than the fact that Ainge, you know, is holding out for a deal where he wins. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like equal value to me. You, you give away something on one end of, of the player's quality and qualities, and you get something on the other end, offense-defense there. So um, that actually sounds like a trade that nobody would say no to unless you're Danny Ainge and you think you can do better. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Barton is a, is a proven scorer. And his, I mean, he's not the greatest shooter out there, but he can score the basketball, and he's having a, a career year right now. So, why not take a shot on this guy? Yeah, and the Nuggets already have Gary Harris, who kind of does the same thing. Like I said, smart is, is really what they need. I think they would do it because they're you know trying to get in the playoffs, and they probably can't afford to bring back Barton anyway. So it's the same situation uh, with Smart. They're really not losing anything. In any case, I'll just, I'll, my next trade just happens to be a Smart trade too. I started off with a, a few Celtics. I got a couple of Celtics and Lakers in here, mixed in with some other stuff. Marcus Smart. And the uh, future lottery-protected Memphis pick, right? And it was protected till pick 10, I believe. Uh, for Tyreek. A lot Adams. of protections on that. For who? Yeah. For Tyreek. Um, Again, Ty- Tyreek send send the Memphis the pick back pick. to Memphis. That's. <laughs> yeah, give their pick. Give their picks back to them. Yeah. For Tyreek, he's six seven. You know, he's he, he's a slasher. 
you know, do uh, do a lot of things. I, I know they have Tatum and Brown already, but you know, if you, you're getting rid of him anyway. It's the same thought. He's a much better scorer than Marcus Smart is. The same offense for defensive trade thought, except that he's a better player than Barton. In, in theory, um, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know if I like that trade though. I just. I, I'm not. I'm not huge on Evans. I don't. I think that he's not even as good of a shooter as Barton. And I just. Ah, he's a better defender, I guess. But he's kind of old, and he gets banged up. I think I'd rather just have Marcus Smart, to be honest with you, because you're giving up the pick right. as well. Yeah. Fair enough. Denied. I like it. I like it. I, I thought I'd get some hit and miss here. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna switch up to a different team. Okay. Uh, Bring it. John Henson. John Henson, Jabari Parker, and a first for DeAndre Jordan. John Henson, Jabari Parker, and a first for DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Parker just came back. He looks, looks decent. Yeah. He looks decent. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could. Milwaukee, I don't know if I could do that, but the way that uh, Giannis is looking recently, that could be something that, I mean, Milwaukee and Detroit are, are starting to look like they could have some powerhouse uh, front courts if they were to make that trade. And, man, would that make things interesting with that rivalry right there uh, with Blake I against feel, DeAndre. I feel like Milwaukee has one-on-one defensive problems. Jabari Parker doesn't seem like he plays that well with Giannis, especially doesn't defend that well. The Clippers get back a young player, and Henson's contract ends uh, much quicker than Jordan. So they get uh, the, the cap space that I was discussing, and they, they get the young player and, and the pick. You're saying you wouldn't do it if you're Milwaukee, but I think I feel like Milwaukee has to shake it up at this point. I'm wondering. I'm I'm, I'm debating it because I mean Henson's nothing that nothing special. He's right. a good defensive player for sure. Uh, it would I guess it would depend on how how they how well they believe Jabari Parker would fit with Antetokounmpo going forward and whether uh, that would be something that that would be better than DeAndre Jordan and Giannis. So uh, okay. I'm I'm torn on this one if I'm if I'm Milwaukee. All right. Uh, I'm going to move on because we've got a bunch of Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson, first Laker one. For Vince Carter, for contract reasons, uh, he, he's out this season. Buddy Heald, Willie Cauley-Stein, and a top-10 protected first. Um, a top-10 protected first. Yeah, that trade for Let's the Lakers see. creates cap space because uh, Vince Carter is a free agent, so it gets him out from under the, the Clarkson contract. Uh, it saves them like $8 million. Uh, the, the Kings back, get back the better players, in my opinion, depending on how you feel about Buddy Heald. But I don't think he's better than Julius Randle personally, so they make it Clarkson to you. Where are you at? Um, I think, I think I'm, I'm both in on both teams. I mean, the Lakers are trying to free up some space there, and they don't really care. And if I'm Sacramento, I'm getting a couple of solid players in return. I'm happy with that deal. Uh, and Because Buddy right. Heald... Has has not really panned out, so yeah, I would do that for for both teams. Nice. All right, this one this one I call uh, the Paul George trade part two. Victor Oladipo, Demontis Sabonis, and PJ Leaf for CJ McCollum and Al Camino. Kaminga. What? CJ? Wait, who who gets CJ McCollum? Sorry, I'm texting Nick Okay, CJ McCollum goes to the Pacers. So, so uh, the Trailblazers then put Oladipo, who's a better defender and probably a better fit, 
gotcha. uh, next to Lillard. And then CJ McCollum becomes sort of the pacer scorer. I know Oladipo is scoring well this year, but CJ's better at that too. And they get Aminu to play the swingman, whereas the Blazers get a, a power forward in, in Sabonis. I feel like that balances both losses a little bit more. I don't know where you're at on it. Oh, I think that sounds good to me. And that would make... Indiana a more intriguing place for free agents to go uh, because I think that they're an intriguing team anyway and they have a good franchise so I, I, as much as uh, the Pacers have gotten under my skin in the past with Reggie Miller I would like to see them do well and be one of the teams in the East that's that's uh, contending anyway so I think that would work out for them Oladipo is a, a pretty big impact scorer and that would that would I think make Portland a little bit uh, different because he, he, I think he might be able to fit in with Lillard, like you said, just a little bit better than McCollum because McCollum, to my knowledge, needs the ball in his hand, hands a little bit more than Oladipo. It's just Oladipo is the only real ball handler on ball handler on Indianapolis or on Indiana, I should say. So that's why he has the ball so often. Anyway, um, all right. All right. sounds like a good trade to me, yeah. Calvin. Yeah, Cavs uh, special Campbell Walker and Marvin Williams. For Isaiah Thomas and Shumford and Shane Fry to fill out the cap space and the Nets first. So they upgraded Isaiah to Campbell Walker. That's, that's coveted that pick. They really wanted that pick so badly. They needed that pick. If they throw that in, I think they look like fools. Uh, but I, I would, I think you have to make the deal at that point. Unless you're going to find a way to trade Kevin Love, you need to shake something up. You need to do it soon, or your team is going to fall flat on their face, uh, and it's not going to look good for anyone. Hi, Rudy. Here's the last Marcus Smart one. Marcus Smart and the Memphis pick for Rodney Hood. Yeah, I've heard about this. Uh, the and Hood's name has been thrown around. I'm I'm not really in on that. Uh, I'd I'd rather have Will Barton than Rodney Hood. I think. Um, oh, Hood is, is. Yeah, I don't know. Hood's a solid player, I guess. I just. All right, that's fine. I got three more, so I got to move along here. Another cast right. trade: Kevin Love, Isaiah Thomas, and Cleveland's first for Ricky Rubio, Derek Favors, and Rodney Hood. So just switch that's the done. jazz over to the Cavs. On both. Kevin Love. Yep, I'll take them. I'll take both. If I'm Utah, I, I bank on Kevin Love coming back. All right. All right, two quick crazy ones before before we before we leave. Uh, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Jordan Clarkson, and Will Dane for LeBron. If he wants out. If he wants out. Um, wow, that would be that. Would, I mean, if he if he wants out, I think Cleveland would find be hard pressed to find a better trade, especially the way that Kuzma has been looking this year. He might be a, a good young player to to go after. All right, final one, Rui. Uh, Hassan Whiteside. And Justice Winslow for Gordon Hayward. Besides being that they already have Brown and Tatum there, Hayward comes back, slows down their development. You bring in a center, is that team perfectly balanced? Do you consider it? Man, I do like Justice Winslow. But Jamie Angel likes Justice Winslow as well. That's a tough one to, to end the show with, Calvin. I could go on and on about that. I would have a hard time pulling the rug out from under Hayward not having played a, a full game for the Celtics, let alone a full season. So I, I think I'd be hard-pressed to say yes on that one. But uh, Whiteside would definitely be the cornerstone center that, that this team has been searching for. That's crazy. 
That would be a crazy trade. Indeed. All right, buddy. I said, I said we'd sit in under an hour. It looks like we're, we're right there. Feel pretty good about yeah. it? All right. I'm feeling pretty good, too. My sore throat is not as bad as I expected it to be at the end of the show. So hopefully next week it's even better. And you know what? We might get a call from Nick Chelso next week. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Much appreciated, doubted, he says. Um, well, he's tweeting about our show tonight. So at least he's paying attention to my Twitter, which is at Team Green Truth, by the way. Anyway. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Sad days for the Patriots. Congratulations to the Eagles, by the way. Uh, even though, ah, man, your fans are so obnoxious. Anyway. Yeah, they are. Yep, they are. We're out of here.